From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, uh, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I almost introed the guest before I announced what this show was. That's really good of me, Kyle. <laughs> we welcome in Kyle DeManenko to talk about the NBA Finals, which start tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the ABC television network between Golden State and Toronto. Uh, Kyle, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Thanks, Jeremy. Always a pleasure to be on. Um... We, we, we were talking off air about our, our, um, our alma mater and the problem it had when it had guys playing out of position. The Golden State Warriors, meanwhile, when Kevin Durant went out, just reverted back to what they knew. And it was like, it was seamless. It was, I've never, I, it's, this has been such a bizarre playoffs, right? Boston never reaches the crescendo you thought Boston would reach. The Lakers never even made the playoffs, even though they were the four seed when LeBron went out. Um, Portland makes a run at it. A bunch of teams that you thought would be there are not, including Houston, that's clearly missing something. I don't know what Houston's missing, but they're missing something. And then Kevin Durant goes out, and you're thinking, uh-oh, this is an opportunity for somebody. And the Warriors kick it back in the 2015 gear, 2016 gear, and Steph Curry, who had been kind of AWOL at times, uh, even dislocated finger and all, wakes up. It's like, what the hell just happened here? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a, it's a different team, obviously, when Durant is not on the floor. Um, and that's not to say that they're better without Kevin Durant. I don't I don't believe that whole notion that you can be better when you're missing arguably the best player in basketball. I just don't buy that. Um, now, they play differently, no doubt. Um, there's definitely a different style and a different pace. You know, with Durant, you've got that isolation-type game where you can give it to him and he's going to get you buckets. I mean, that's that's what he does. You know, the pace will slow down a little bit. They'll still play a little quicker, but what you have going on right now without him, like you said, you're, you're reverting back to those original Golden State days where it's that freedom of movement, ball movement, down screens, up screens. I mean, they're doing everything that they used to do extremely well, and they're very efficient doing it. And, you know, you're talking about a team that has been said that they didn't have the depth, they didn't have the bench that they used to have, and yet they're showing us that, hey, that's not that's not true. You know, we've got everything that we've had before, and we're just, you know, finding a way to use it and be efficient again like we were back in 2015, 2016. Um, so what's your take now? And, and, and this is not about Toronto, so so let's just steer clear for a second of, 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 of the Raptors. In general, to win on the biggest stage, when you're clearly the biggest target, when you're clearly giving every, getting everybody your best stuff every night, um, for, for me in the finals, I think they need Durant back. And my theory behind this is that they need Durant back because it gives them other options if somebody's off. You saw a Warriors team when he went out, Kyle, that got on their game and on their game fast. They had no second gear, though, if things went wrong. They had to do these crazy comebacks, but they, they, they did it frenetically. And yes, that's how Golden State plays, but they also had a lot of good luck go their way. They made the shots. And my concern with Golden State is if the bench doesn't rise up, if the Livingstons and the Loonies and um, everybody else who's a part of that bench, Iggy, if they're not on their games... You're suddenly stuck where if you have Kevin Durant, you have another year to go to if times get rough. So just let's, let's just put aside Toronto for a second. What's your view of this team 
in the finals, knowing they're going to get Toronto's best, even though we're going to analyze Toronto as second, knowing that they, at least for game one, will not have the second gear or the second option or the second way they can play in Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of stuff there. I think with the Warriors, you know, it's always been they like a challenge, right? You know, a lot of people feel they haven't been challenged so much in the last few years. I mean, obviously, we're, we're seeing a run of dominance that we maybe have never seen. I mean, you can argue, I guess, the Celtics, 50-60s with the Russell Cousy era, but um, they really like to be challenged, and, and they rise above that. Um, they had no business business beating Houston, um, no business at all being, beating Houston once Durant went out, um, but they rose. They rose above it. They showed heart, which is you, you mentioned it earlier what Houston was missing. They're missing heart, in my opinion. But um, they find a way. They just there are some other parts. Um, and Curry has had his his ups and downs, but he's on a tear right now. Um, Clay Thompson is as consistent as you can possibly find in a two guard and a two way basketball player. He he got snubbed, in my opinion, for the All NBA team. Um, so they just find a way. I mean, they are hitting a lot of shots. You're right. They are. You know, they're getting good open looks. But you know, Draymond Green. Right now, this run, this may be the best he's ever played in his entire career. I mean, if you look at what he's doing, he's efficient. He's not arguing, which is a huge thing. He's not letting the refs get in his head. He's, he's trying to avoid these technical fouls, which really does have an impact on his game. I mean, he's not getting frustrated very easily. And the thing about the Warriors, they really haven't been pushed physically um, yet. They haven't really, haven't really run into a team, I guess, with the exception of the Clippers, who can really kind of push them around. I mean, Portland, look, you got to applaud Portland for getting there. Um, great team under man. I think if they had Nurkic, it'd be a different situation. But Lillard was playing with separated ribs. I mean, McCollum missed a good portion of the second half of the season with a knee injury. Cantor was their starting center. I mean, they just didn't have they didn't have enough. They weren't a physical enough team to really push Golden State. So Golden State can kind of get whatever they wanted, especially in transition and in the half court. Um, their ball movement, like I said, was just terrific. And, and Curry got hot. When Curry gets hot, you really can't do anything about it. I mean, he, there's a reason why he's arguably considered the best player in basketball. Um, and if you look at Golden State, they're plus 6.6 in their net rating in the playoffs. That's excluding garbage time. So... You know, their defense has obviously slipped a little bit, but they find a way in key moments to get it done. And if they can just avoid foul trouble, specifically Steph Curry, we've seen he's had some pretty dumb fouls throughout the playoffs, a lot of ticky-tack fouls where he's just not really thinking. He can't afford to get into foul trouble in this series. So, again, if they can avoid that, if they can avoid getting frustrated, because we've all said who's Golden State's biggest enemy, it's Golden State, right? They get in their own head, they beat themselves, they shoot themselves in the foot. So if they can just avoid those little things and not have these careless turnovers, which we've seen, I think, in the playoffs right now, they have a 14% turnover rate. I mean, that's pretty high. So they need to just cut down on that. But, you know, again, this is a team who's been here several years. They know what, you know, they know what they're doing. They know each other. They know the game plan, and they stick to it pretty well. And one of the things that I, I just find fascinating about Steph Curry is for all his talents, he does get these ticky-tack stupid fouls. He does uh, – uh, sorry, not – not ticky-tack as, as in the ref's calls, but, but ticky-tack as in why are you reaching in two minutes into the game in the first quarter when the, when the score is 6-4? to four? It, It's just, oh, no. it, it's poor defense, no. and it's poor thought process on, on his part, and I do not understand Steph Curry's thinking sometimes. It boggles my mind for somebody so talented and so blessed. Yeah, and I think it's just the way he plays. He's just a very excited player. Um, you know, his mindset's always, all right, I want to get in the open court, I want to get in transition, I want to pull up and, and nail three. You know, that, that's just his mindset. It's not that he, I mean, he's not a 
obviously not a great defender. He's not a terrible defender. He does have very quick hands. He can, you know, come up with steals quite a bit. But his, you know, his on-the-ball defense is is obviously not great. Um, he's not a strong, he's not a strong player in general. It's, you know, physically he's not he's not gifted in that regard. But um, overall, I mean, he just finds a way to get it done. Um. Yeah, and he finds a way to get it done, and he finds a way to help Golden State into yet another NBA Finals. They will face the Raptors. We're talking to Kyle DeManincor about this on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. All right, Toronto, they, they what, what was weird about that series, I don't know how to think about Toronto, so maybe you can help me. Because if it wasn't for Van Vliet and some other role players, they're not here. Milwaukee is. And if Milwaukee's bench had stepped up, they're here and Toronto isn't. Is this a route? Or is this a case where Toronto may have found something in going four straight to win that series in game six and they can roll into this series with something? I have no idea how to interpret or read Toronto. Yeah, I mean, those are good points. And truthfully, I mean, I and you can... You could talk to a number of my friends, but I've been on Toronto all year. I mean, I, I've the, the minute they got Kawhi Leonard, I was like, all right, this is a game changer. DeMar DeRozan is a good player. He's not a great player. You know, he could never elevate Toronto past LeBron and past, you know, Eastern Conference Finals and all that. Kawhi Leonard's done it before. Historically, he's done it. I mean, if you look at some of his numbers in the past, they are historically great. I knew right away if they could just keep him healthy, this team was going to be a force, you know, down the road, um, which obviously we were seeing it right now. So people forget, too, that, you know, when they acquired Marcus All around the trade deadline, you know, they haven't played a lot together, this starting five. I mean, Kawhi missed, you know, games in and out. Kyle Lowry went out with that ankle injury. So, you know, guys weren't really healthy, and they haven't really played a lot together, that starting five. And now you're seeing that come together where, hey, they're getting reps together. They're practicing together. They're, they're, they're getting to learn each other's game. And those last four games or whatever against Milwaukee, you saw that. I mean, you saw how ferocious this team is on defense especially they they are their trademark is their defense and look they're one of the you know fastest teams in the league as far as fast break points um they're up there with golden state you know they've got a a really they're second behind Golden State in the playoffs and their net efficiency at you know plus 6.3 um so this is a team who they like to run you know they like to get out and transition and that's all created by their defense and they have the ability to switch on ev- basically on everyone on defense, and that's that's what fascinates me most about this series is how is that strategy going to be between Nick Nurse and Steve Kerr that chess match about all right who's going to guard this guy who's going to guard this guy how are we going to switch it? But I feel like Toronto does have the ability to switch. I mean, we forget Marcus Saul is a hell of a defender. I mean, this is a guy who I, I don't know if he, I think he might have been a defensive player of the year once. He's definitely been in the conversation. I mean, he can defend for his size and he's smart. And they're just a ferocious team, and that's where they make their money on defense and. I think we're seeing it all come together right now. Now, again, they have to be healthy, obviously. Kawhi Leonard, we saw instances in that Milwaukee series where he looked really hobbled and really hurt. A couple times where he went up for a dunk, came down, you could see he was clearly favoring one of his legs, one of his calves. So, obviously, you need him to be healthy, but um, I don't really worry too much about the depth. I think they play eight guys, that are, and they're eight really strong players. I think, you know, Powell... Um, Van Vliet and Ibaka off the bench is very strong because they can work into the rotation of the starting five. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about depth. Um, it, again, what we're seeing from Toronto is what I envisioned seeing all year. And I didn't, I didn't know they would get Gasol, but you had Gasol to what they already had. And, and to me, it's a no-brainer. 
We're talking to Kyle DeManincourt here on Teeing It Up. All right, who's the X Factor in this series for each team in your mind? I mean, is it is it a cheat code to say Kevin Durant <laughs> Warriors? <laughs> is, that, is that too easy? I mean, I mean, to me, it has to be Kevin Durant, right? I mean, if you're talking a potential series swing if he doesn't play. Now, I, I do believe he's going to play at some point. Do I think it's going to be games one and two? Obviously not game one. We already know he's out. But I think game two is going to all depend on what happens in game one. Um, I think best case scenario, we see him in game three. But if for some reason he's not back or if he's really inefficient and just doesn't have it, it swings the entire series. So, I mean, for me, 100% expected for Golden State is Kevin Durant. Um, for the Raptors, uh, honestly, I think Van Vliet. I mean, I think, again, it's easy to say Kawhi with his health and you know maintaining his Jesus, just above MVP style play. I mean, the guy is just so great. There's no really, no words to describe him. But I think Van Vliet. I mean, if he can hit those threes off the bench, we know that they're going to have to keep up offensively with Golden State. It's really hard to shut Golden State down. So they're going to have to have to keep up and not get too far behind. And I think the three is obviously the equalizer. Um, they're going to have the opportunity to hit those. They're going to be there for him. So it's just a matter of if he can stay hot. Basically, that what he what we saw the last few games against Milwaukee was. I mean, that was something else. I don't think I've seen a lot of bench players put up that kind of numbers with that efficiency. At you know, talking about in the Eastern Conference or Western Conference Finals. I mean, that time frame for him to do that was it was special. So if he can stay hot, he'll really provide that lift on offense off the bench, which they're definitely going to need against Golden State. Um, what is you know, so often we talk about foul trouble, injuries, uh, somebody steps out of bounds and a stupid turnover. That's the other thing we haven't talked about, by the way. We talk about Steph Curry's foul trouble. Golden State turns it over a lot, and I, I think that's another thing. So what's kind of the non-player X factor that you're looking at here? For me, it's the turnovers for Golden State. They can be wild on offense, and it's like, how the hell are they putting this together? And then they hit five straight threes, and they go on one of those patent and Golden State third quarter runs and the game's over. But for me, it is um, can they keep a hand on the ball? Because you know Toronto's going to be hungry looking for early game fast break opportunities. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you're, you're 100% right with the turnovers with Golden State. They've, you know, historically, they're not just this year, but they've always been a, a poor team with that. I mean, they get kind of careless sometimes. Um, and I don't know if it's that, I don't want to say arrogance, but I think it's just they're so confident in their abilities, especially in their passing abilities, that they, they tend to kind of nonchalant. And I mean, we've seen Curry several times with these behind-the-back passes that are just terrible. Um, so I think Golden State definitely has to keep an eye on their turnovers because, we do, like I said, Toronto likes to run. They're right up there with Golden State. They like the transition points, um, and they will get out on the break. Um, so for you know, from the Raptors' perspective, it's, it's really – their half-court offense. I mean, can they knock down enough shots, especially from the three-point line, from the perimeter, to really keep up with Golden State? Because they're going to have to keep up. I mean, let's be honest. If they get behind early, like they like what happened in a couple of the games against Milwaukee, it's not going to end well. I mean, this is not Milwaukee they're playing. You know, you're talking again about one of the greatest teams, if not the greatest team in the history of the game. So they can't get behind. To me, it's just starting starting strong. If I'm Toronto, that's if I'm Nick Nurse, that's my point of emphasis, especially because these first two games are at home. Golden State has never had to play on the road to open up a final, so it'll be a little bit different for them. Again, they do thrive on the road, but still different. So Toronto needs to come out, and they, they need to punch them in the face early because you, you know Golden State will respond, but Toronto needs that confidence early. Talking to Kyle DeManincourt here on Teeing It Up. All right, so 
Let's get off the NBA Finals just for a second. Let's talk about where you see, because this also impacts the NBA Finals, obviously. Kevin Durant, right now, what does your gut tell you about Kyrie, AD, KD? Jeez, if I, if I knew, I'd probably be on ESPN right now with Woj trying to, <laughs> trying to break that down. I mean, this, it's honestly anyone's guess. I, we never saw Kevin Durant go to the Warriors when that happened. I mean, I, I would have never imagined that happening. I mean, if I had to guess right now, best situation, I mean, I think he truly wants to go to New York. I think the lure, obviously, of New York City. But if I were him... I mean, I would stay in Golden State, but if, if not, then I would go to the Clippers. I think they're in the best position. I mean, I know he likes L.A. Um, they're in the best position right now to make the next leap. They have a great front office, Jerry West, a great owner in Balmer, great coach in Doc Rivers, and, and they got a good supporting cast, and they could still potentially lure Kawhi Leonard with them. Uh, that makes it very interesting. So if I had to say, I'd say the Knicks and Clippers and then Golden State. Um, Kyrie Irving, I, I think Kyrie ends up in New York. I really do. I think I think the writing's just been on the wall for a while. I think that's where he wants to be. I think he does want his own team, although playing with Durant would obviously elevate him even more. Um, but I just think he's a New York guy. I just think that's where he wants to be. Um, and as far as AD, it's, truthfully, if I were AD, I would give it one more shot in New Orleans and see what you can do with Drew Holiday and Zion because that's a pretty nasty, you know, one, two, three combination, you know, three pairing right there. So, but I don't think he wants. I mean, that's that's done. I don't think he wants to be there. Obviously, David Griffin's going to really have to think about that and try to convince him. But best case scenario, I would think AD might go to the Knicks. I mean, if I'm if I'm the Pelicans and I'm looking for the best trade package, to me the Knicks with that three pick where they can get R.J. Barrett, why not put Barrett next to Zion for however many years? I mean, to me that's that's a dream come true. You're getting best friends, roommates, college teammates, put them together and let them build. So it's anyone's guess for these guys, but AD really doesn't have any control, whereas these other guys do have control to kind of choose where they want to go. Yeah. Um, I, I just... As as a Knicks fan, the the Knicks are sexy, but they're not. I'm sorry, New York is sexy, but the Knicks aren't sexy. If that makes sense. Oh no, that does. I mean, and and that's why I think it's going to impact KD. I, I I don't get these people that, that think that KD that you know that that KD to the Knicks is automatic. It's not. The Clippers are a lot more stable situation. The Warriors, no matter what's happened behind the scenes, is a lot more stable situation than. The Knicks. If KD comes to New York, it is because of the city and the marketing opportunities and whatever stuff. I don't know what Kyrie's going to do. I mean, I, I, I don't think any of us can interpret Kyrie Irving's head. Um, and number two, and, and, and number three, for me with AD, I, I think, and I don't know what you think about this, I think it goes deeper than than just Zion and and... Drew Holiday. I, I think he wants out. I just think that there's something going on there that, that he wants out of that place that can go beyond whoever they can pick up. Yeah, I agree. I think, and we all saw that at the end of last season. I mean, it's pretty clear that he doesn't want to be there no matter who they draft. So I, if there's anyone that can do, will do it right, it's David Griffin. Um, the guy's smart. He's calculated. He's not going to rush the process. You know, again, they hold the contract of AD, I think, for another year. So AD has no options right now. He's, he's still at the mercy of the team, regardless of what he requests. I mean, the, the team holds his contract. That they do. And it gives you all the power in the world when you're not in control. 
or sorry, it gives the team all the power in the world when you're not in control, but that's also what happens when you want out of your contract two years early. See what Le'Veon Bell did. Um, he just sat out a year. I don't think AD would do that. Uh, but that would be an interesting maneuver. <laughs> he sat out a year. Um, all right. Uh, uh, we're going to do a, a uh, prediction, and then I'm going to make a statement. So uh, go ahead, uh, Kyle. What do you view... Um, how do you view this NBA Finals playing out, and what's your ultimate selection? I mean, you know, my gut tells me Toronto. It really does. Like I said, I've been on them. I love the way they're playing. But, I mean, if you throw Kevin Durant back in the fold, I don't I don't think Toronto's really going to be able to overcome that. So, again, it's almost like a two-fold prediction. But, I mean, if, if Durant doesn't play, I'm picking Toronto in seven. I really am. Call me crazy. Uh, if Kevin Durant does play, I think Golden State wins in six. Um, I just don't think Toronto has enough to overcome that Golden State juggernaut. And, and again, we're really banking on the health of Kawhi Leonard, too, because like even if he's 50, 60, 70%, they have no chance. I mean, he needs to be at his very best every single game for them to have a chance. So your Warriors in six? Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming Kevin, I'm, I'm assuming Kevin Durant is going to come back at some point. So, uh, yeah, I, but again, if he doesn't, I'm, still, I'm going Toronto in seven. Interesting. Warriors in five. Okay. I, I, I think this is going to be one-sided, and I think that Toronto's just not deep enough. That's my, that's my take on that. Um, yeah, that's valid. I mean, definitely valid. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Uh, you can stay on the phone, Kyle, or you can hang up. Uh, we're going to do a 180 here um, in 10 seconds at the 22-minute mark because uh, I need to address comments that were said on PGA Tour Radio today by Hank Haney. So, uh, let me just wait. Okay. Uh, I have a platform in teeing it up with Jeremy Schilling uh, that talks a lot of golf. And when you have a platform like this, there are times that you need to speak up and use that platform to address uh, despicable, horrible statements made by those who have power in the game that you love. This morning on PGA Tour Radio in his show with Steve Johnson, Hank Haney, um, Tiger Woods' former swing coach, among other players, uh, had the following exchange with his co-host. Steve, this week is the 74th U.S. Women's Open, Hank. Hank, oh it is? I'm going to predict the Korean. Steve, he laughs. Okay, it's a pretty safe bet. Hank, I couldn't name you six players in the LPGA Tour. Maybe I could. Well, I go with Lee. If I didn't have to name a first name, I'd, I'd get a bunch of them right. Steve, we've got six Lees. Hank, honestly, Michelle Wee's hurt. I don't know anybody. Where are they playing? Sexist, racist, despicable, inexcusable, and dumb for somebody who has a show on a platform like SiriusXM, and for somebody to make the statements that he did about a tour that is thriving because of its multiculturalism, thriving because of how much of a worldwide tour it is, and thriving because there are great Americans, like Lexi Thompson and the Corda sisters, thriving alongside players 
from Korea and Japan and China and other areas um, is stunning. The ignorance of not knowing what you're going to talk about when you get on a radio show and have a platform like that and speak out like that is shocking and appalling. And I'm disappointed in Hank. I'm disappointed in Steve. And I hope that Sirius XM takes action. And I would hope for the sake of the listeners out there that they, um, that they, that the listeners who either agree with Hank because they don't know any better or because they're not up to date on the LPGA tour, take a look around. I think you'll like what you see and you'll be surprised. Sorry. I think you'll be surprised at what you see and like the golf that is being played. But these comments from Hank Haney are utterly and completely despicable and unacceptable. And I hope Sirius XM takes action. And I hope Hank educates himself about the LPGA tour and the players who compete on that tour every single week. For Kyle DeManincourt, I'm Jeremy Schilling. Thank you for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up, and we will see you next time.